Hello, Stapleton Church. My name is Matt Wolf. I'm the lead pastor here for the church, and we are all about helping people follow Jesus because we know that following Jesus is the path to the fullest life, and we want that for you. We want to help you on that journey and, in turn, for you to help others on that journey. And just over the last week, I've had conversations with two new people, new to our church, even during this last time, who are from different countries, even different continents. And I just love that our church, even though you can't see them right now physically, because the church is the people, not the place, even though you can't see them, our church is made up of people from so many different nationalities and ethnicities, because truly that is uh, that God loves all people, and we love all people here at this church. So I'm glad that you're joining us today. If you are new, make sure you reach out to us and text the number on the screen, text NEW to that number at the screen because I would love to follow up and get to know you a little bit. Today we are starting a new series. Now if you've been here this year, you know that in a sense this is a continuation of things that have come in the past. This year, pretty much the bulk of this year, we will be going through what's called the Gospel According to Luke. You may know it in your Bibles just as Luke. Luke, a historian who was investigating Jesus to find out who he was, where he was from. He went to the locations, interviewed eyewitnesses of people who knew Jesus and were there for the events that were significant in the life in, of Jesus in the first century in Israel. And he wrote down his account for us, which is incredible. So we've gone through quite a bit of it this year. And now we're going to do these mini-series. And of course, we break away from it like to do our victory series, which we did last month. But we are now jumping into this series, what I've entitled Jesus Is, because this section of the scriptures really talks about the identity of Jesus, who he is. And I believe filling in that blank, Jesus is blank, and when you fill in that blank, and whatever you fill it in with is probably one of the most important things that you will ever do. How you fill in that blank is one of the most important things that you will ever do in your life. Because some people look at Jesus, and most people, almost all people like him. People like Jesus, they look at him and they think, wow, what a great teacher. We got so many good things. He was a wise man. Others say that he was a mystic and there was something spiritual about him, that he had a connection to the supernatural world. Others would take it a step farther and say that maybe he was an avatar, meaning a representative of the gods, or even one of many gods, if you look in some of the Eastern religions. Others look at Jesus and say that he was a prophet that he was a prophet, that he was one of the spokespeople from God. But Christians take it a step farther and say that Jesus is not only Lord and Savior, but he is God himself. So there's a huge, wide variety. Some people also look at him as a completely as a political revolutionary. Others as a moral example that we can follow and learn from. And so many people have these different uh, answers to the blank, and we've got to look at them all and analyze from the first-hand accounts, from investigating Jesus for ourselves, who Jesus is. So that's what I want to challenge you and encourage you to do during this series over the next several weeks. I want you to answer the blank for yourself. How would you fill it in? Don't listen to what I would say even. Don't listen to what your parents said or what our society says or what some academics in the ivory tower say. No, what will you say about Jesus? How will you fill in the blank? So investigate him for yourself. That means if you're not a follower of Jesus yet or you're not a believer, I want to encourage you to really truly investigate him. Give Jesus the benefit of the doubt. Listen to what Luke said about Jesus and the events in his life that eyewitnesses testified to. Listen to it. Think about it. Mull it over. Ask questions. Reach out to me. Ask me the hard questions. But don't leave any stone unturned. Really seek the truth. 
And if you're watching this and you're saying, well, Matt, I already am a follower of Jesus. I'm, I'm one of those Christians. I, I know what I believe about Jesus. Well, good. You are going to learn some even deeper truths about who he is. And therefore, I believe it's going to impact your life even more because who Jesus is changes how we live. So today we're going to look in Luke chapter 8. So if you have a Bible, maybe even get out your physical Bible. You know, it's good to have these physical Bibles that have pages, you know, that you could read with your eyes and, and not just have a touchscreen. You know, it might be a relic of the past, but I encourage you, if you have one, to get it out. If you don't, you can use maybe another device, open up another tab in, in a different browser. Um, so I just encourage you to look at Luke chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 22 and go all the way to verse 39 today. So I'll give you a second to do that. As well as you can look, if you're watching this on social media or YouTube, there is a link to the Bible app. So if you have the Bible app on your phone or you too, you can use it in your browser, that you can actually follow along and there's a place where you can take notes directly into this passage so you have them the next time you read this passage. So that's really cool. Make sure you check out that in the YouVersion Bible app for our event here for Stapleton Church. But we are in Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 22, because today, the way I think this passage fills in the blank is that Jesus is the ultimate authority. Jesus is the ultimate authority. He is the highest, the, uh, the biggest authority above all the other authorities. Just the other day, I was making a phone call. And I was talking, of course, uh, it was about our health insurance. And I talked with one person. And at the end, I, I requested what I needed, a document. And they said, oh, I can mail it to you, but it's going to take seven to ten business days. Ugh, that's forever. I'm trying to solve this issue. Please, can you email it to me? I mean, we all have email, right? Can't you just email it to me? Oh, it's not secure. Oh, you can use the secure email server for your insurance company, right? We have that. We even have a way to have that. Oh, sorry. I cannot send you an email with that information. So what did I do? And it's the same thing that you do in these situations. Can I speak with your supervisor, I asked. Can I speak with your supervisor? Because what happened when I went to the authority above this person, the authority, the supervisor, actually could very quickly make my request happen. And that happens. Sometimes I have to ask for the supervisor above the supervisor. Have you ever done that? Because we know that there are levels of authority in businesses, in our government, in the army, in schools, in the church. There's different levels of authority. But what I'm saying is that above every single authority in the entire universe is one man, Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate authority. And what we're going to see today is that Jesus has the ultimate over authority over three different areas. So if you're taking notes, the first one of those areas is that Jesus is the ultimate authority over the natural world. Jesus is the ultimate authority over the natural world. And I see this in starting in verse 22 of our passage. We read, One day Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. Now Jesus did most of his early ministry around this Sea of Galilee. And this sea, which is really a gigantic lake, was where Jesus would have grown up in that region, and many of Jesus' disciples grew up and lived in that region. Several of them were fishermen, including Peter, who was the leader of the disciples. And these men would have been fishermen on this lake, so they would have known this lake, they would have known boats, they would have known how to operate boats, and they would have been no uh, foreigners to storms on the lake, which could happen out of nowhere. 
Now, this lake in particular is one of the lowest, it, actually it's the second lowest lake on the entire planet, 700 feet below sea level. On top of that is surrounded by heat, hills and heights and cliffs around pretty much the entire lake. And because of that, wind funnels down and picks up speed coming down those hills and hits the water almost out of nowhere, causing storms like that. And that's what happens to these seasoned fishermen, these boatmen who know their way around a ship. And they're in the ship and Jesus is taking a nap. Now, I love this scene, picturing Jesus taking a nap while the storm in the boat is raging all around them. I don't know if, if you're like me, but uh, I, I commiserate with Jesus here because I can be the same way. I can fall asleep on a dime. I can fall asleep uh, on a boat in a raging storm. In fact, when Melissa and I just had the twins, we were in the hospital, and this was just last December. And I was, I mean, especially exhausted, but I fell asleep. And I had one of the babies in like a, a little crib right next to me, like, literally a foot away from my head so that I could hear one of the babies in case they screamed. And I think it was Evie, but honestly, it's all a blur at this point. I can't remember. Um, but I remember one day waking up to a start because something had hit my face. Turns out I had fallen asleep and I was sleeping so deeply that even though the baby was crying in my ear, screaming, and even though Melissa was yelling at me, screaming, wake up, Matt, wake up, because somebody has to take care of the baby. She just had uh, C-section surgery. She's lying there, unable to move to pick up the baby, yelling at me. She had to throw something at me to wake me up. So I understand <laughs> Jesus right here. Are you like me or are you like Melissa that will wake up on a dime? Usually in a couple, there's one of each, it seems like. But whatever your case may be, Jesus is the sleeper. He was tired. He was exhausted. He's been working hard. So he is sleeping in the boat through this squall, it says. This is a major storm. And it says they were being swamped, meaning water is getting into the boat. So that, that means the guys that are awake are actively taking buckets, taking whatever they had, their hands, and just scooping the water out because the water is swamping the boat that will eventually cause it to capsize or drown. And it says they were in great danger. They were in great danger. It doesn't say they felt like they were in danger. It doesn't say they were afraid. It says they were in great danger, meaning that there was so much water in the boat. And these guys, once again, were seasoned fishermen. They were boatmen. They knew what danger was. And they're saying, we're in danger right now. This is a terrible storm. This is something that could sink them. And if you watch the news, you know that on lakes and on rivers and in the ocean, people drown with frequency. Even in our country with uh, life jackets, even with uh, great motorboats, you know, people still drown because it can be dangerous, especially in a major devastating storm. In verse 24, we pick up the passage. It says, the disciples went and woke him. I can just see them shaking Jesus awake, saying, Master, Master. They're crying out to him. They're yelling at him just like Melissa did when I was asleep in the hospital room. Master, Master, we're going to drown. Now, I don't think they're exaggerating here. I think they're speaking the truth. They're saying, we are going to drown. The water is coming in. It is elevated to such a level. There's no way we can get out of this storm. The wind, the waves are so bad. Wake up, Master. And it says that Jesus got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked the disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? 
He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey Him. Jesus, out of nowhere, in the middle of a real devastating storm, a very clear instance when they're going to drown, Jesus speaks, and His words cause the wind and the waves to calm down to peace. The storm was over like that. As quickly as it began, it ended. With a word. Something was different about Jesus. His disciples knew there was something different about Jesus. And when they look at him, they looked at each other and started asking, who is this man? Now, they've been with Jesus for a while. They've seen him perform miracles. But this one is to another level. This isn't just healing one person. This is ultimate authority over the natural world, the wind and the waves, the weather systems that Jesus can stop with his voice. Now, that is a power that I cannot even fathom. Now, most preachers at this point, most Bible readers at this point who have grown up in the church heard this story before, take that and they say, wow, Jesus has the power over the storms in your life. Now, I think this may be one of the implications of this passage, that Jesus is talking about, you know, the difficulties we have in life that we metaphorically refer refer to as storms. But I don't think that's what the disciples were amazed at at this point. I think they were amazed because Jesus actually had ultimate authority over the natural forces of the entire world. Now, we can barely even predict the weather, let alone control it. Let alone control it. And Jesus here can control it with his voice. Mark Galley who is the former editor of Christianity Today and a former pastor, he tells a story about a time when he was a pastor. And he was a pastor in Sacramento. And a group of refugees from the nation of Laos came and lived in that area. And some of them started coming to his church. They didn't know anything about the Bible. They didn't know anything about Jesus, had never heard of him, knew nothing about it. So Mark Galley, this pastor, says, hey, this is a good chance to teach them from the Gospels. So he begins a Bible study with them going through one of the Gospels. And when he comes to this story, he tells them the story, and then immediately he gives the pastoral application, right? Jesus has the power over all the storms in your life. So whatever you're dealing with, you can trust him to get you through it. He has the power to stop your storm. And the room was silent. None of the Laotians spoke. And so Mark Galley was wondering, did they not understand what I was saying? Did they not get the point that I'm trying to make? Until one of the Laotians looked at him and asked, do you mean that Jesus actually calmed the wind and sea in the middle of a storm? And when he asked this question, Mark Galley thought that maybe this man didn't believe in, in miracles and he was trying to think of all the apologetics. He's like, oh, I wasn't really trying to go into the, the, the supernatural world. I didn't really want to answer this question. But before he could address that issue that he thought was going on, the man said this, well, if Jesus calmed the wind and the waves, he must be a very powerful man. And it was at that moment Mark Galley realized that this Laotian, hearing this story for the very first time, understood it better than he did. Because this man understood it. That Laotian understood it. And, and after he said that, the entire group of Laotians in that Bible study started exclaiming and chattering among themselves in, in, the Laos, in their own language. And Mark Galley stood back and realized, wow, 
Jesus does have the power over the natural world, over the storms, over the seas itself. Now, if you've ever seen an incredible storm, you know how powerful they can be. If you've been living through a zone that has come, had a tornado come through, or you've seen a hurricane attack your uh, house, if you've witnessed uh, an earthquake or been a part of that, you know that the natural forces of our world are so far beyond anything that we puny humans can control. We can't. We can't, we can't at all. In fact, during my time in Nebraska, when we lived there, there was a massive, massive hailstorm that came through. And the, the, hails were, the hailstones were only about the size of a golf ball, only because earlier that year we'd had one with bigger, probably the size of a baseball or a softball. I have a picture to prove it. But when these golf ball-sized hails started to come, they were also coming at winds of upwards of 50 miles an hour, coming horizontally, like we were looking out the window and the hailstorms were coming right at us. And these hailstorms are coming and they hit our house. It sounded so loud. We went in the basement because we started freaking out because there were so many hailstorms. And the next day, and I, actually, I'm sorry, just an hour later, we went outside and there was flooding in the town and there was hail that had done massive damage. It looked like um, a machine gun had been fired at the side uh, of some houses. But what was even worse was that the crops, the soybean and the corn in the fields around our city for about a 10-mile swath were completely devastated, broken in half. They could not be repaired. It was so far into the season that the plants were completely killed. No corn was salvageable. Some farmers' entire fields, their crop for the entire year, was gone. Now, if you lived and that was your subsistence, if that was your income, this was a devastating blow, and it was a devastating blow to our town. And I can only imagine in the first century if a storm like that happened. It could capsize your boat. If you're a fisherman, you could lose your boat. Your entire business basically is going underwater. You might die. People die in storms all the time. Hurricanes kill people, thousands of people in our world. But as devastating as the, the most terrible and atrocious storm our world has ever seen, Jesus has more power than it. See, Jesus is the ultimate authority over the natural world. Now, if that's true, and I believe it is, and I think this passage is telling us to have faith, even the disciples, where is your faith? They had to get their faith out because they weren't practicing their faith. They didn't believe through that difficult storm. What Jesus is saying is like, hey, these storms come, real storms come, difficult, terrible circumstances now that we're applying it to our lives. Difficult things happen. Viruses in our natural world damage human bodies and destroy people's businesses and even nations. But Jesus is the ultimate authority above, over the natural world, even over pandemics. Now, this should give us, give us great comfort. And this should give us the power to have the faith to make it through this storm. Because it truly is a force from the natural world that we have no control over. But Jesus does. He is more powerful. This didn't catch him off guard. He is the ultimate authority over the natural world. But it's not just the natural world. It's also the supernatural world. The supernatural world. And that's what we're going to see in the next section of Luke chapter 8. See, when they get back to shore, they sail to another town. And it's, we pick the story up in verse 27 where we read, When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out 
and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. You see, Jesus runs into this man, this man who has been living in a graveyard. He is not wearing clothes. This man is what we would call crazy, right? And Jesus and, and the Gospels inform us that he had a demon that was possessing him. And, and so much that when Jesus comes, he calls him the Son of the Most God and High God, and he doesn't want to be tortured by Jesus because he knows the authority that Jesus has over the supernatural world. Now, some of you, as I'm speaking right now, think I'm crazy. You think we're, we're so much farther advanced than that. We don't believe in the supernatural in the, anymore. We know that demon possession is really just um, some psychological or, or psychiatric issue, isn't it? Well, here's the thing. I want to challenge you to have a humble mind if that's who you are. Now, I'm going to be the first to admit that I don't understand how this all works. I don't understand how a demon possession can happen. But I do think that we should be humble enough to admit we don't know everything. There was a fascinating article that came out about a year ago in The Atlantic. And in it, the author went, he went and interviewed the chair of Columbia University's psychiatry department. And he said, most of the time when we see people who say they're demon-possessed or other people say this person is demon-possessed, it, it could be what we classify psychologically as disassociative disorder. But then get this, he says, but there have been a couple of cases in my career that cannot be explained in any other way. And I can't figure them out. That's what he admitted. He admitted that. And what's fascinating, even in the DSM, which is the manual that psychiatrists and psychologists use to diagnose people with mental disorders, that they, they leave one of the labels for dissociative disorder as possession form, as in demon possession Okay, and what's really fascinating, at the end of this article, in all this investigative journalism, this was the conclusion of the author. He says, Pour over these spiritual and psychiatric frameworks long enough, and the lines begin to blur. Psychiatry has only given us models through which to understand these symptoms. No lab test can pinpoint the medical source of these types of mental fractures. He goes on, What we call disassociative states and the demons are not so different. Both are incorporeal forces of ambiguous agency and intent, rupturing a continuous personality and forever eluding proof. So I want to ask you to keep an open mind here. Is it possible that some of the things that are getting lumped in with psychological disorders are in fact demon possessions? When we see the young people who grow up in good homes going and volunteering for ISIS or buying weapons or stealing weapons and going and shooting up entire schools, it has to be evil. There's evil in this world. It cannot be explained in any other way. There is evil. And if perhaps there's an evil that we don't understand, perhaps there is demons. Perhaps there are spiritual forces of darkness in the world. Keep a humble, keep an open mind. I challenge you. So be humble about this. And we should be the first to admit now today that there are invisible forces that we do not see that can wreak 
havoc on our lives individually and on our world. We know them right now as a virus, but even just a few hundred years ago, they would have had no idea. And we look back at them and think they were stupid for not knowing that this could be a virus. But I would guess that a few hundred years from now, they're going to look back at us and do you know what they're going to think about us? See, they're going to know things that we don't know. And is there a chance that there are supernatural forces that we do not see, that are invisible to the naked eye, that have power in our world? And I believe that that's what's going on in this story, that this man is possessed by a demon, an evil force that is forcing him to do terrible things. And Jesus approaches the man and he asks the man there, what is your name? What is your name? If I'm Jesus, son of God, who are you? To which the demon-possessed man says, legion. It is the demon speaking for him, and it is not just one demon, but multiple, because the word legion in the Roman world referred to 6,000 soldiers. And those demons, the legion of demons, begs Jesus not to throw them into the abyss, the pit where uh, demons would be doomed and tortured for eternity. They beg him, they say, let us go into that herd of pigs that's there on the hillside. And Jesus gives them permission. He lets them do that. And the demons leave the man, go into the herd of pigs who run down the embarkment into the sea and drown. See, Jesus is the ultimate authority over the supernatural world. There are dark forces. There is evil in our world. And there's evil. It can show up in people. I mean, look at the last century. Look at Adolf Hitler and Mussolini and Joseph Stalin and Mao Zedong. How could there not be evil in our world? There is. And these evil forces, even though they have some power right now, Jesus is the ultimate authority above them and over them. And for that, we can take great comfort that though there is evil, though there is darkness, though there is hardship in our world, we know that we can trust the ultimate authority, Jesus And if that's true, if Jesus is the ultimate authority over the natural world, and if he's the ultimate authority over the supernatural world, he should also be the ultimate authority over your world. And that's the third point. Jesus is the ultimate authority over your world. What's really fascinating is the response that happens. This man has this legion of demons leaving him forever. And we pick this up in verse 35. It says, the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus's feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. This man is in normal clothes. He's talking like a normal man, and he hasn't for years. They all knew this man. I mean, if there's a crazy man living in the graveyard, people are going to know about it in town. And they did. And there is Jesus talking with this man. It says he's sitting at Jesus's feet, meaning that's the language of a disciple. He's wanting to learn and follow Jesus. And we see this if you jump down to verse 38, where it says, The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. This man went from begging Jesus not to torture him and send him into the abyss because he was a demon-possessed man, to begging Jesus to go with him and be a disciple. And Jesus gives him the instruction, I want you to proclaim the good news here, to tell other people about who I am here. And he does it. This man goes from a demon-possessed loon that's living in the graveyard to a preacher of the gospel. 
This is a massive, major transformation. And that's what happens when Jesus is in your life and you realize who He is. Because when He becomes the ultimate authority in your life, it shifts everything. It changes the way you talk. It changes the way that you walk. It changes what you do on Sundays. It changes the people that you're going to spend time with and love and serve. And and you're going to talk to people differently. You're going to love people. You're going to leave sin behind. Your whole life is going to be turned upside down. If Jesus is the ultimate authority in your life, and he should be if he has this much power, if he has this much power. But not everyone responded that way. This demon-possessed man, yes, he was a radical convert. Now he is a follower of Jesus, but not so the other people in the village. In verse 37, it says, Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. See, these people were afraid of this ultimate authority. And they were wanted him to leave. Now, I honestly think the reason why they were afraid, because if Jesus is Lord at all, he is Lord of all. If he really has that much power over the supernatural realm, he has the authority over my realm. That he can tell me and change how I live. I think also they were probably mad because they're pigs. They're a herd of pigs. This would have been their income. A business was gone. And here's the thing about Jesus. Yes, there's a little bit of collateral damage. There will be pigs who die in our lives. Your business may be upended. You may have to leave a job. Your financial structure may change. In fact, your finances are going to change because now you're going to be giving generously, tithing even to the church. You're going to be spending money on different things. Your life is going to be completely flipped upside down. And some people look at that and they don't want anything to do with it because they want the authority in their own lives. They want to be king. They want to be on the throne in their lives. But Jesus is Lord of all. He's the ultimate authority. So I want to encourage you to not make the mistake of these townspeople and reject Jesus. I want you to be like that man who had this radical transformation to come from sin to new life. That he was born again. That he was made a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come in this man. And that should happen in your life when Jesus becomes the ultimate authority in your world. So will you do it? Will you do it? Will you make Jesus the ultimate authority in your world? Now, it's not enough to just believe that Jesus is the ultimate authority. That's not enough. Even the demons believe that. It says, Jesus' brother James wrote, the demons believe and they shudder. They're terrified. Don't be like the demons. Don't be like these townspeople. Be like this radical man, be like this demon-possessed man who went and had a radical conversion to make Jesus the Lord of his world. Do that in your own life. Do that in your own life because if Jesus really does have that authority, he has that authority in your life and you should allow him to sit on the throne. Listen to him. Obey him. Learn from him. Sit at his feet. It's time to grow. It's time to leave some things behind. So I want to ask you about your life. Have you made Jesus the ultimate authority of your finances? Have you let him take control of how you spend money, where you spend money, or are you holding on to that? You're saying, no, 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 this is my my realm. I'm just going to hold on to that. I'll go to church on Sundays. I'll even volunteer my time, but he can't have my money. Others of you, you're not giving Jesus the ultimate authority over your time. You're saying, I'll give my money, but I'm busy. I need to do some other things. I, I, I don't have time to do all this stuff. Even watch this sermon online. Ugh, it takes so much time. Okay, you need to give Jesus the ultimate authority over your time and say, I'm going to give him my time. I'm going to give him a day to worship him. I'm going to give him time every day to spend more time at his feet. 
Jesus has control over my time, and if he tells me to do something, I'm going to do it no matter what it is because he is the ultimate authority in my life. Others of you, you need to give Jesus the ultimate authority over your relationships. Maybe there's a relationship you're in right now and you're engaging in sexual activity or in some other way this relationship is unhealthy and you've been kind of holding on to it. Like, I'll do the Christian thing over here, but this relationship, this is mine. Well, I'm trying here to tell you that Jesus should have the ultimate authority over your relationships. All of them. And it's time for us to look at the areas of our life. And maybe there's some other ones that I'm not naming. Look at all the different aspects of your life. Does Jesus have authority over your business? Do you allow him to decide how you operate? Or do you say, no, 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 business is business. That's separate. I'm going to treat people poorly or make a bad product or, or steal from people because I am going to make money how I need to make money. No, no, no. Jesus is the ultimate authority over your business. So maybe it's time to let that up. So wherever you are, if you're hearing this, I want you to know that Jesus is Lord of all. Because this same Jesus, who has all power and all authority, laid it all down. He gave up his authority in heaven to come down to earth, to serve us, to love us, and then to die on a cross, a criminal's death, the lowest, most cursed form of death in the ancient world. And Jesus died that way so that you could live. And when he rose from the dead and then ascended into heaven 40 days later after being witnessed by 500 people, Jesus is now at the right hand of the throne of God where he's reigning in power. And one day he will come back to judge the living and the dead with the keys of death and Hades in his hand because he has already given a death blow to sin, death, and Satan himself. And this Jesus, with all authority in heaven and on earth, is claiming you as his. So will you make him your supreme authority in your world? Abraham Kuyper, the great Dutch theologian and politician, yes, he let Jesus be Lord of all aspects of his life. Abraham Kuyper once said, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. It's all Jesus's. He has the ultimate authority over everything and over your world, so will you allow him to be the Lord in your life? If you're ready for the first time to do that, I want to give you a simple prayer that you can pray right now that that Lord that has authority, ultimate authority over all things can be in your life to help you, to guide you, to save you, and to give you eternal life in heaven. So repeat this prayer out loud with me. Father, I know that I am a sinner and ask for your forgiveness. I believe Jesus was condemned for my sins and rose from the dead. Please give me the gift of eternal life. I declare that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, my ultimate authority. I invite your spirit to live in my heart. Help me to follow you with all I am. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you said that prayer for the first time, text FOLLOW to the number at the bottom of the screen. I would love to get back with you, and I'd love to encourage you in your faith and get you plugged in to this church. And for all of us, I'm going to say a prayer. Lord God, I'm so glad you sent your son Jesus so we could see that he has all authority over the wind and the waves, over the natural world, over the demons, over the supernatural world, and over our world. I pray that we would give every single square inch of our lives over to him, that he could rule and sit on the throne, even though that means that we must humble ourselves before you. Lord God, give us the power and the authority to humble ourselves before you, the ultimate authority, that you would be the Lord, you would be the king, that you would be the ultimate authority over all. Amen.